Good morning. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're a people here at Seacoast that loves to study the Word of God. We're going to be in Matthew 26, 27, 28, doing a verse-by-verse deep exposition of the Word. We're going to finish about 3 o'clock this afternoon. Are you excited about that? No, I'm not. Now, i got a family thing planned this afternoon to enjoy my family, and I'm sure you do too. But, if you, but we do have an outline that uh, because we're going to do a big passage of Scripture, you can take this home with you, use it during the week to kind of think through what you're going to hear today. Father God, teach us from your Word. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the fact that it tells us the truth. It tells us the story. It tells us about yourself. It reveals you to us. And I pray this morning as we take a fresh look, maybe a different perspective on Easter, at least a different look at Easter through the eyes of the Father that you would uh, teach us. We worship you in Christ's name. Amen. He is risen. I kind of grew up in a church that did that every single Easter. It almost became like a little ritual that almost lost its meaning. But the second Easter after I became a pastor, I was 26 years old, pastoring a church plant on a university campus in Ohio. And the Easter story began to take a different meaning for me because on Easter, shortly after, just a few days after Easter 1980, now for some of you, you didn't even exist back then, right? Easter 1980, I got a new name. 1953, my parents gave me my first name, the name Dale. That's what you can call me. Got used to it early in life. But on April 15th, 1980, a doctor gave me a new name. Went into a delivery room with my wife, and after I had labored and labored and labored for 17 hours, it was work. Becky was involved as well. As I stood at her shoulders, looking over this cloth that was draped over her legs, and there was this doctor down on the other side doing something, and all I knew was after 17 hours of hard labor, all of a sudden that doctor lifted up a little girl named Bethany, and he said, congratulations, Dad, you are now a... Father. I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus tells us to think about God as a Father. And I've heard a lot of sermons around Easter, but I've never heard one where they talked about, so what was the Father doing during Easter? It took even deeper meaning for me about a week after I became a dad myself, I got a phone call from the church that I was pastoring that was meeting on this university campus that I needed to go to the University of Cincinnati about 30 miles away because one of our members had been airlifted there. Her name was Helen. 33 years old. A young believer in Jesus. Excited about her faith. So excited about her face. She's the only person I ever knew that we get so excited during our small group sharing time that she would sometimes praise God with four-letter words. 
but I think God was okay with that because it was from her heart. That was her, that was her language of excitement. You know, can you picture that? She had that type of a vibrant, well, they were not those four letter words, other four letter words, but you know, it's just like, Oh, whatever. But anyway, don't feel in that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have even included that in the sermon. I'm sorry. I blew some of your minds. But put it this way, when you from your heart express joy to God, I don't think he cares too much as long as your heart is pure. And hers was pure. She had a pure heart, a deep love for Jesus. She was riding on her bike to have an appointment to play tennis with some friends at the country club, probably to talk about her faith because she was getting a reputation that she just told everyone about Jesus. Her racket slipped perhaps into the front spokes. We're not real sure, but it flipped her bike, flipped her onto the sidewalk. She didn't have hardly a scratch on her body, but just a a bruise on the head. She was unconscious. He flew her to the hospital in Cincinnati. She was in ICU when I went to see her, and the first report was the doctor said, you know, these things happen, and almost always within three days she should wake up and be fine. After three days, she didn't wake up. Her father flew in from Philadelphia to be with her. He didn't really share our faith. He had a lot of questions about where is God. I remember him asking me, so who are you? Because he actually expected if I was a man of God, I should be wearing a collar or something, and I didn't have any of that, and I... I explained to him I was the pastor of the church that she was now attending. And over the next 14 days, most of those days, I would go to the hospital, sit and pray with Helen, sit and pray with her father. And I saw the pain of a father lose his daughter. I had never experienced that experienced a little bit of it again when my own son and daughter-in-law lost our grandson Andy a few years ago, about three years ago. But it gave me a different insight into God the Father. And especially at this point in history. So what I want to do is I want you to look at this story through the eyes, not of the soldiers, or the disciples. I want you to look at it through the eyes of God the Father. I'm just going to kind of read some highlights of the story and tell you part of it from Matthew 26 to 28. And as we do, enter into the idea of, so where was the Father? What's up with Him? What's He doing? What's He thinking? What's He feeling as He watched His only begotten Son die on a cross, rise from the dead, that gave us why we're here today. It's a great story from the Father's perspective. The first time we see the Father involved in the story begins in chapter 26. And I've given you this outline. You can kind of follow it if you want. But if not, just sit and listen. In fact, normally I always tell you, open your Bibles. You can open your Bibles, but I'm going to show you the highlights on the screen. So today only, you have permission actually to just sit and listen if you want to. It says, and Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane with his disciples, and he said to them, 
sit here while I go there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and began to be, began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. I feel like dying. Remain here and keep watch or pray with me. Support me in this thing. And he went a little waves beyond them, fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but thy will be done. And he cries out to the father, and the father listens. And he does it for an hour. And as far as we know, he hears nothing from God. Nothing from the Father. After an hour of this, he goes back to check on his disciples and he finds them sleeping, verse 40. And he says, hey, so you men could not even watch or pray with me for an hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again for a second time and he prayed, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, meaning his death, then your will be done. And again, he comes back and he finds his disciples sleeping for their eyes were heavy. The poor guys, they're tired, right? And he left them again and he went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing one more time, came back to his disciples, found them asleep again. He says, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Get up, let us be going, behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And I guess what I want you to notice in this first pass is that Jesus is anguished. And here is a father listening to a son or his child crying out to him, and the father does not respond. Now that just feels weird to me. Because I know if my kids cry out to me and they're hurting, wow, I mean, I'm... I'm jumping, right? But the Father knows that for this time, for some reason, He must simply let it pass. The Father is watching, listening, but He does nothing. Then the Father sees the arrest coming. And we see Him hold back His angels. I love this story where now they come to arrest and Judas betrays Jesus. And it says, oh, pick it up in like, Verse 49 of chapter 26. Immediately, Judas comes with this gang. It says he's accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs. Okay, coming to arrest God. Okay, now you've got to see the humor in that. But there they are. And, and some of the elders of the people, chief priests. Now, you've got a mix of these, these authorities with their swords and clubs. And you've got the religious folks coming. You know, and I guess they're going to wave their, their, their emblems at him or something. But they come to see it also with Judas. They come to arrest Jesus. Remember the story because Peter his most courageous, in some ways, disciple, decides, I'm not going to let this happen. I said, Jesus, I'll die for you. So he takes out his sword, takes a whack at the guy's head to take off his head. He wasn't shooting for an ear, by the way. He shot for the head, he missed, and with a glance, he took off his ear. Jesus, took, Jesus immediately picks up the ear, puts it onto the soldier's head, and heals him, and miraculously reattaches the ear. Now that alone should get your attention. That this is not the average guy to arrest. But then Jesus makes this statement. Here it is. He says, Peter, put your sword back into its place. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my who? Father. And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions, which would be about 72,000 angels. 
And if you know anything about angels in the Old Testament, one angel would be enough to take care of this mob. But he says, I could call up my father. My father will do it if that is his will, my will. If I call to my father, 72,000 angels are going to swoop in and just fry these guys. Put your little sword away. That's not what we fight our battles with. But the Father, here's what I want you to see. The Father does nothing. The Father and His angels just watch. They could come, but they don't. And Jesus is okay with that. The Father continues to watch as the story goes on in verse 63 and following as the, fa- the Son goes through a series of trials where the, the Father watches His innocent Son, that's my summary on your outline, mocked in trial. The Father watches as people mock Him and hit Him and spit and ridicule the Son. He watches, He listens. And, and the first group to do it, by the way, notice, in fact, pick it up in verse uh, 63. In verse 63 it says, But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest who was with him, this is the leading spiritual leader of Israel, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you, I command you, by the living God. So now the priest adjures him, he says, by by the authority of Almighty God, the Father, I command that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, verse 64, You have said it yourself, nevertheless, I will tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man, pointing to Himself, sitting at the right hand of the power of God, coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He is blasphemed. He is blaspheming God, claiming to be God. What further need do we have of witnesses against this, Jesus? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy yourself. What do you think? And they all answered, He deserves death. And then they spit on His face. So the Father, who has just been prayed to now by the religious leader of Israel, has just said to the Father, He says, I command you by the authority of me being the representative of God that you tell us, are you the Christ? He says, you've said it. I am the Christ. I am the Son of the living God. And they began to beat Him and spit on Him and hit Him with their fists. They were slapping Him. And then as they're doing this, probably so much so that He can't see clearly, eyes beginning to swell, He says, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hits you? In verse 68. And the Father listens to all of this going on. Now the Father is listening as Jesus is being abused and beaten and ridiculed in disgraceful ways by not the Roman soldiers, they'll get their chance later, this time it's being done by the holy men of Israel who lead the people in worship every week. It's like being in a room full of pastors and Jesus getting beat up. And the Father does nothing. The Father lets it happen. See, this is where, as I begin to think back to my own role as a father, if any of my kids are being picked on by bullies, I was always eager, you know, everything I could do to control myself. I remember when that little girl that had come out of the womb was being picked on. In fact, I remember another story where my own son was being picked on by, uh, by a bigger boy named Johnny. Now, this Johnny was a bit of a bully, he was a big, powerful five-year-old bully. And, uh, <clears throat> and I remember when he was picking on my little boy, <clears throat> and I remember one time literally going up to him. And I picked up little Johnny, 
and, and, and I don't, don't call in Child Protective Services, okay? This is long ago. <laughs> but I picked up little Johnny by his shirt, and I literally picked his little five-year-old self up and held him so he could look me right in the eye. And I looked him in the eye, and I kind of pulled him close. And I said, Johnny, don't you ever do that to my son again. Got it? Got it. Once I had terrified him, I set him back down. <laughs> Why didn't God do that? Why didn't the Father do that? Or something? But see, the Father knew there was something special happening. The Father let it go on. Then we see the Father in the next section in verse 69 to 75. The Father watches as Jesus goes from trial to trial to trial. And, and He watches and, and He looks around. So where are the new disciples? I mean, if the, if the old religious leaders of Israel are not going not to follow My Son, then He's got His disciples. He spent three years with them. Where are they? And, they and, and the Father God is looking down from heaven and He sees that they've all run and hid. Peter says, I'm not going to run and hide. I'm just going to go check it out kind of from the fringes. So Peter's hanging out in the outer courtyard and, and, and then Peter himself, in many ways the bravest of the disciples, a servant girl asks him, hey, I think you're one of his followers, right? The guy that's on trial in there. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not one of them. Oh, yeah, 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 you are. And then a second time someone says, hey, I know you. I can tell you're one of his followers. No, 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 I'm not one of his followers. And then the third time that he did it, it says this, and Peter began to curse and swear, I do not even know the man. Now, I, I don't want to shake you up too much in how you hear the, the rather R-rated version of this story, but that's God's polite way of saying when Peter cursed and swear, for him to curse and swear as he reaffirmed the strength of his denial of I do not know him and blah, 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 and mixed in a few swear words, four-letter words, to make them be convinced that he's telling the truth. And God the Father did nothing. The story goes on in verse chapter 27, if you jump there in chapter 27, starting in verse 21, and the Father listens as the crowd that one day worshipped Jesus in just a week earlier as He came into the city. This time the crowd turns on Jesus. And the Father watches. Pick it up in verse 21. It says, But when Pontius Pilate, so they pass Him from the religious authorities that beat Him up and spit on Him and said He's deserving of death for religious reasons for claiming to be God. And then they send Him to the Roman authorities. We mentioned this last week. Pontius Pilate. Because Pilate didn't really give a rip whether or not Jesus claimed to be God. That didn't bother him. He wanted to know, do you claim to be the, what? King of the Jews. Are you claiming you're here to become the king of the Jews? And, and Jesus says, you've said it. I am the king of the Jews. And that bothered Pilate, you know, because now that's a threat to Rome and to Pontius Pilate's rulership over the region. If a new king of the Jews rises up, that's going to be trouble. He's going to be in trouble with Caesar. So he says, yes, indeed, this guy has to go. But even then he says, but I found nothing wrong with this guy. He's not done any, not broken any laws. So Pilate says, I wash my hands of him. After the crowd yelled, crucify him, crucify him. When he said, do you want 
me to release Barabbas to you, a notorious criminal, or do you want me to release Jesus? And they said, give us Barabbas, and with Jesus, crucify him. And the father listened. And the father heard the crowd when Pontius Pilate said, well, I wash my hands of this thing because I don't think it's right. And, and the crowd said this, his blood be on us and our children. Verse 25. The father listened. And I think the father said, you don't know what you're asking for. So you see, the father's there. The father's listening. The father's watching. The father sees the mock procession of Jesus as he goes from the trial to his crucifixion. Beginning in verse 27 of chapter 27, he begins to see, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and they gathered the whole Roman cohort or soldiers, a battalion around him. They strip him. They put a, a, a scarlet robe on him, mocking him. They twist together a crown of thorns and press it into his head. They give him a, a reed as a fake scepter and they kneel down before him and they mock him in worship, fake worship. Hail, King of the Jews! And then they get up and they spit on him and they take his reed and they begin hitting him in the head with the reed and then they're mocking him. And then they took his robe off and put his own garments on and then they led him away to crucify him. And his journey toward the cross. God watches father watches the father sees it he does nothing and then the pinnacle of the story of course is now the father is watching as jesus is nailed to a cross and hoisted up and the father is silent jesus is now hanging on the cross and we pick up the story as he's being crucified verse 27 after they've beaten him Verse 33, and they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had then crucified him, he's now on the cross, they divide up his garments because they've stripped him naked, another symbol of sin and shame. And then sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they decided to put the charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. So if you want to you stand up against Almighty Rome, this is what happens to people that do that. So they put that in mockery over his head. The two robbers or are, 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 are criminals are crucified on his right and his left, and they're hurling abuse at him, it says in verse 39. And then there's an interesting statement. Because it says some of the religious leaders had also come out. The scribes and the elders were mocking him saying this. Verse 42. He saved others. He can't even save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down off the cross and we will believe in him. And then they thought. You know, he was always saying, I'm the son of God. God the Father loves me and I love the Father. So then they give this challenge, not to Jesus, but to God the Father, in verse 43, He trusts in God, well then let God deliver Him now. If God, fill in the, the play, He, that is the Father, takes pleasure in Him, then he's, for He said, I am the Son of God. In other words, what He's saying is, these religious leaders are challenging God the Father to show up and do something if this is really your Son. And the logic is there. Because they're thinking, if He really is the Son of God, then yes, yes, 
the Father is going to show up. He's not going to let this go down. So the, the, God the Father is being challenged. See the irony of that? God the Father is being challenged by religious followers of, of His. To do something, say something, prove that you really do love this man Jesus. You know, once before, when Jesus was being baptized, God the Father watched it and spoke so everyone would know. Remember that? Remember what he said as Jesus was baptized? He said this, say it if you know it, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And, and I, I know that God the Father did exactly what He needed to do when He stayed silent. But if I were God, I probably would have said, well, let me just shut them up. And I just a big booming voice out of the clouds could have said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So you ask, there's my answer. Wow. But because of the seriousness of the moment, God the Father again was silent. It's interesting that it was right after this that if you put all the Gospels together, it says that Jesus spoke and if you put them together in order, Luke 23 tells us the next thing Jesus says about this time is, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Isn't that interesting? That the Father would say, Father, forgive them. Jesus prays to the Father and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because you could see where in the heart of God the Father there has got to be a mounting anger with these men and women who call themselves the worshipers of the God Most High, who are doing this to His Son. But the Son prays for them, and like only a God can do, He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He offers forgiveness to one of the thieves when he confesses and repents. He offers the care of his mother into the hands of one of his disciples, most likely John. These are all recorded in Luke and John. He expresses his thirst as he's dying on the cross. And finally, then finally the Father acts in verse 45. And here's what it says. And then from the sixth hour, high noon, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour, about three hours. So now, all of a sudden, God the Father acts. And the first thing God the Father does is He says, okay, let's go dark. And he darkens the land. Probably a dense, dense series of clouds. We're not sure how God did it, but God the Father darkens the land. And at this moment, I believe Jesus is bearing the sin and the shame and the guilt of all of humanity of all time. One author once described it this way, that the raw moral sewage of all humanity of all time fell upon Jesus. Jesus became our sacrifice for our sin. And it's, and it's no coincidence that the very next thing that happens is the Father abandons the Son, turns His back on the Son. And in verse 46, the story continues when it says, And then about the ninth hour, about three hours after the darkness began, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And I pointed out last week in a message, if you were here, that Jesus prayed to his Father, his Heavenly Father, 22 times that we know of. Every time, 21 times, he says, my Father, my Father, my Father, my Father. This one time, Jesus changes and says, my God, my God. Because Jesus, I believe, is sensing that fact that he has separated, sin has separated him from his own loving Father. And then he says in verse 50, he says, and then Jesus cried with a loud voice, cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. If you fill in the gaps from John and Luke, what he cried was, it is finished. Not I'm finished, not I'm giving up. It, my mission, my payment for your sin, what the Father sent me here to do, my mission is complete. It is finished and then he switches back and luke tells us in verse 46 of 23 luke says that he says father into your hands i commit my spirit and he surrenders himself to death and he dies and then after this three hours of darkness the father now acts again this time the father who had made everything dark he strips away the clouds brings back the light so everyone can see the dead Christ on the cross. And at the same time he does that, it appears from Scripture in verse 57 and following, it says he pulled back the clouds, he says a mighty earthquake, he shook the world again with another earthquake, and he split open the veil of the temple. Now why did the Father do all of this? He did it because it was finished. Because His Son had now died, paid the price for sin of humanity, and and now the Father wants everyone to see. And by the way, this week, if you do the follow-up appointments with God that uh, we call daily encounters, you'll read one of the reasons I think the the Father did all this is Romans chapter 3 puts it this way. It says this, that Jesus was sacrificed publicly. It said He put Him on public display on a cross so that the Father could be both just and the justifier of those who place their faith in Jesus. In other words, the Father realized there had to be a public, out in the open, display that as the just God who said the wages of sin is death, the wages and penalty for sin is death and separation from me, that God cannot ignore His justice in order to exercise His love. So the cross on public display was God the Father showing all of humanity for all time, including you and me, that He is a just God who punishes sin, but that He punished our sins on the cross on Jesus. And now He lights it up so the world can see Jesus dead on the cross. But He also shakes the ground and He rips the veil that separated the people from the most holy of places in the temple. Go back to last week's sermon if you want to understand that. But he's saying God is now available. Forgiveness is available. Freedom is available through Christ. And then Matthew 28, the story gets even better because as he's doing that, it says this, 27.54, And the centurion began praising God, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. The very first recorded exercise of faith or belief in Christ is not from a Jew in the temple or a religious leader or a rabbi. It's from 
a vicious Roman soldier who says, now I believe. And I think that's when God the Father, for the first time, began to smile. Because he saw this is why Jesus and his Father went through all of this. Well, so that faith might spread. Then in chapter 28, we read the rest of the story. don't have time to read it this morning, but it's the resurrection. They go to the tomb. Jesus is missing. Early Sunday morning, they come to the tomb, and, and the Father again acts, man. The Father shakes everything again, sends a couple angels. One of them, they roll away the stone. One of them is sitting on the stone, lights himself up bright as day, scares the bejeebers do you have those bejeebers? Anyway, scares them out of these soldiers. They fall down like a dead man because it's not easy seeing an angel, uh, you know, personified. And, 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 they, and they flee. And he rolls the stone away, not so Jesus can get out. Jesus is already out. Jesus doesn't need you to roll the stone away. He goes right through walls. Read the stories about the resurrection. He's in his spiritual body now, and he, he can go right through walls. He came right out of the grave clothes and left them behind. He rolled the stone away, not so Jesus could get out, but so we could get in and look and believe. And as faith began to spread over the next 40 days, as Jesus went to Peter even and his other disciples and forgave them and loved them and said, now let's go tell the world about this thing. And then Jesus, after 40 days, ascended back to his father. Final experience, the father welcomes the son home. It's recorded for us in Luke 24, 50 to 53. So why do I tell the story this way today? See, I think in all of our lives, there are times when we question, is God there? Does he care? Does he understand my pain? Some of you have experienced that loss of a child. Others have experienced other types of loss in your life. This story shows me a father who was willingly he was willing to put himself through that type pain and worse because he had a deep, deep love for you and for me. There is a God who is aware. There is a God who always cares. There is a God who knows pain. There's a God who has a plan to free us from pain forever and ever and ever even someday. And I think this story tells me, trust that God. Trust a Father who would do this for you. Pray with me. Father God, we put our trust in Christ if we've never done so, I challenge my friends this morning to just say, Lord Jesus, as I reflect on what you did for me, and as I reflect, dear Father, on what you did in sending the Lord Jesus and allowing this to happen, thank you for the deep love of a God who said God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Would you pray to that God today and say, Dear Father, I put my trust in your Son Jesus as my Savior. Help me to follow him all the days of my life. It's in his name we pray. Amen.